Hi, hello and welcome. This is the Zonecast where we interview emerging Canadian professionals, entrepreneurs and academics. And today we have with us on the show, Mike Carton. He is the president of uh, Wonder Gaming and CEO of uh, Rumble Gaming. Uh, hi, Mike. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for this uh, particular interview. And um, I want to start by talking about your extensive background. So can you tell us about your professional and personal background? Of course. Uh, so I started my career. Uh, I, I have an academic background in, in economics. Uh, coming out of grad school, I, I was an economist for uh, the former prime minister of Canada, Stephen Harper. Uh, I worked for him from 2009 to 2012, uh, and following my stint, uh, you know, under the federal government, uh, working in, on Parliament Hill in Ottawa, I decided that I wanted to transition into a career in the sports industry. It's always been a big passion of mine. I grew up playing sports, um, several sports, as well as um, sort of always had a, a very astute interest on the in the business side of the industry. And so I moved to uh, Manhattan, to New York City. And uh, enrolled in uh, New York University doing a master's of sports business. Uh, while uh, completing my studies, I took a, my first job working in hockey operations for the New York Rangers. Uh, I then uh, worked at Sportsnet New York under the New York Mets, uh, as well as uh, doing some broadcast work um, for SNY, which is Sportsnet New York, which owns uh, a large por- portion of the New York Mets. Uh, as well as Madison Square Garden Networks um, uh, with uh, with the New York Rangers, and then worked at Major League Soccer uh, on Fifth Avenue in corporate communications. And uh, after completing uh, those roles and and uh, sort of deciding that it was time to to move on from Manhattan, I uh, actually left to go to St. John, New Brunswick, where I uh, oversaw business operations for the St. John Sea Dogs, uh, which was a team in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, under the Canadian Hockey League umbrella, and uh, I, I think I've joked with you before. I always I always say that I'm almost certainly the only human in history to move from New York City to St. John, New Brunswick, uh, in doing so. <laughs> and so I did, did that for did that for a couple of years, which was uh, quite an experience, but a culture shock, a lot of fun. And uh, uh, I ended up staying with the St. John Sea Dogs until early 2016, uh, at which point I received a call uh, from Ryerson Futures. Uh, and specifically, it calls around coming over to be uh, the director of sports and media for their new uh, sports and media focused uh, technology accelerator. And I believe that was sort of the, the context under which you and I met. And uh, specifically, uh, you know, Mark Cohan was really the, the, the big uh, sort of individual that was spearheading this initiative. Uh, and for those who don't know, Mark was formerly the Canadian Football League commissioner as well as uh, an individual held executive roles with the National Basketball Association and, and other large sports uh, sports organizations uh, around North America. And then uh, our other board member at Rarison Futures, uh, Nadir Mohammed, was the former CEO of Rogers. And those are really sort of two, the two individuals that uh, were the driving forces behind launching this accelerator. So I got a call from Mark Cohan, uh, uh, I believe it was December 2015, and he was telling me that uh, they were looking for somebody to come over and oversee uh, this division of the tech accelerator. And so I ended up accepting the role and, and moving back to Toronto. And we launched in February of 2016 in partnership with the National Basketball Association uh, when the All-Star Game was here in Toronto. And so what I did, uh, you know, in a nutshell for Ryerson Futures as, as the director of sports and media uh, was largely twofold. 
on one hand, um, I would work alongside uh, stakeholders in the sports and media industry uh, to essentially learn, you know, what are the challenges as it relates to technology facing the industry? And, and the types of stakeholders I'd be talking to would be, you know, senior executives with the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, um, Rogers, Sportsnet. Uh, and then on the traditional media side, uh, Disney, NBC Universal, Cineplex. And I'd, and I'd talk to those partners usually anywhere from once a month to once a quarter. And they would essentially give me their marching orders in terms of, uh, you know, what business objectives and priorities they were focusing on and what types of technology, uh, you know, I could bring to them that we could, you know, overlay or incorporate into their business model to make them more successful. Uh, and then number two, uh, in terms of my responsibilities was, uh, to, to look at applicants all day long and, and evaluate them from an investment perspective. So some weeks we would get anywhere from, you know, usually 15, 20 applicants and, and I'd sort through them and, and we would essentially decide which were attractive investment vehicles, which could be interesting to those partners that I just mentioned at the outset. Uh, and that was more or less how, how we operated our, our accelerator. Uh, and, uh, then as you know, uh, and what we'll discuss, I think a lot today is that, you know, starting late 2016, I began to get increasingly involved in the gaming space. And, and when I say gaming, I mean both gambling and I mean, uh, esports, organized competitive gaming. And it all started uh, really August 8th and 9th of 2016. The League of Legends uh, World Championships were held at what was then called the Air Canada Center in downtown Toronto. And we happened to bring uh, all of the executives from the National Hockey League, uh, National Football League, and the NBA down to the arena. And most of them were just blown away. We couldn't believe that they were bringing 50,000 people through the building in two days to watch really a uh, play video games. And that was really an eye-opening experience for me and, and you know, a seminal moment that taught me about the potential of, of gaming in terms of the demographic, how how passionate it is, how much they care about the space. Um, and then more importantly, what an interesting and attractive demographic, you know, esports and gamers, uh, esports and the gaming community, excuse me, are to sponsors and to advertisers. Because uh, as you know, it's a young demographic. They're, they're largely affluent. Um, they have a lot of brand affinity and a high propensity to spend their entertainment dollars on brands that they care about. Uh, and so that, that was really the moment where I started to continuously ladder more into gaming and esports uh, relative to traditional sports. So from there, I became the chief operating officer for Toronto Esports. Uh, and we were essentially the academy model or the minor leagues. For uh, Robert and Jonathan Kraft's esports properties, um, those are the owners of the New England Patriots, as, as most people I'm sure would know as uh, in the sports community. And what we did is we had a team house in Toronto, and we had all of our players living in the team house, and they would train and and, and play video games together 24/7. And uh, we had a large staff. For, this is six players for one team, uh, and it was a game called Overwatch. And we had uh, everything from a general manager to data scientists to analysts. We had nutritionists. We had doctors. Uh, we had performance coaches. Like, it was really an extensive operation. And that was my, my, my sort of first experience on the team side. And then fast forward a year uh, to January 2018, and I got connected to um, Leonard Asper. And Len Asper is part of the Asper family uh, that formerly owned Ken West Global. 
And now Leonard is the is the CEO and chairman of Anthem Sports and Entertainment, which is a holding company that owns um, a plethora of sports properties, including Impact Wrestling, um, Access Television, which he just acquired from Mark Cuban, uh, as well as Game Plus, Game TV, and, and some some specialty channels. And Len and I decided uh, to launch an esports and gaming focused talent agency, and that became Rumble Gaming, um, which is one of the companies I oversee to this day. And Rumble Gaming, uh, again, is a talent agency as well as a consulting business and a media company. And we represent uh, over 400 clients uh, in the gaming and esports space. And that ranges from tier one organizations that own multiple teams to um, tier one franchises that operate in Call of Duty, League of Legends, Overwatch, and so on. And then the vast majority of our clients are individual content creators and streamers and YouTubers. And so we have a partnership team that sources deals for them, and we derive commission revenue from it. And then we also, as I said, consult for lots of large corporate clients that are looking to get into esports, learn more about the space, and really better understand where their natural entry point is uh, within the ecosystem. And then the final thing uh, that I do is I'm president of Wonder Gaming, and Wonder Gaming, uh, we originated as an esports and gaming-focused acquisition fund, and I launched that with my business partner, Jonathan Dwyer, who at the time was the SVP and head of, of, of special partnerships and sales for Enthusiast Gaming, which is a, a fairly large publicly traded company on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Um, they trade under uh, the ticker EGLX. Uh, and John and I started the company, as I said, as an acquisition fund, but we have since uh, really narrowed our focus into uh, the loyalty and reward space as it relates to esports. I'd be happy to talk about that in greater detail. Uh, as we're continuing to sort of solidify partnerships in that area. But right now, um, those uh, those two ventures, that is Rumble Gaming and Wonder Gaming, have, have become my predominant focus. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess sometime in the past few months, I think, was was it in March or April, where you decided to leave your full-time position and focus on these two ventures? That's correct. So in, in, in mid-April, we had... An interesting dichotomy in the entertainment industry whereby, you know, all of my business in the traditional sports industry was either on fire or paralyzed. Nothing was happening. All of the leagues were freezing spending. Of course, all of the leagues shut down in mid-March. And then on the other side, in in the esports and gaming community, business has been thriving. Um, Our revenues were up 38% over last quarter. I've actually hired 12 individuals in the last six weeks for Rumble Gaming. Um, So I decided at that time that um, it'd be appropriate to sort of uh, step aside from Mars and Futures and, and they can sort of decide whether, uh, you know, to, to, to bring a successor on at that point, simply because, um, uh, frankly, a lot of our core business uh, as it relates to the traditional uh, sports side had, had sort of um, crawled to, to a standstill. So I did resign um, sort of effective the end of April to, to as you said, uh, focus more on, on my uh, ventures in the gaming space. So I guess I guess it sounds like it wasn't a very difficult decision to make to leave this full uh, time position with uh, with the paycheck to something on this side because as you said uh, this these particular um, things were were in the more thriving and, and active space whereas on the other side things were slowing down. Yeah, so I mean, I, so I should say from a business standpoint, that is certainly the case. However, the caveat, you know, to that statement is, 
you know, the individuals that brought me on to, to work at Wires of Futures are Matt Saunders, who's the president and one of the founders of the business and, and his close friend and, and also an individual who came, my close friend, uh, Alan Lisney, who is the chief operating officer and managing director. And so, you know, when I came over from, from St. John, New Brunswick, when I was overseeing the Sea Dogs, they were really the two individuals that gave me what I, what I would call my first big break in, in the industry. And especially, you know, investment in venture capital and, and, and sports and media was, was still kind of on the up and up when you look at the, the, the sort of ecosystem of late 2015. So the, the one that's a long winded way of saying, you know, the challenge was just sort of leaving two individuals that, that I thought really had a, had a big impact on, on my career trajectory in terms of number one, giving me a chance to be an executive in, in sports and media. And, and number two, in a space uh, such as investment, which is really, really very niche and very specialized and, and something, frankly, I, I, you know, despite my background in economics and, and doing an, an MBA, um, I didn't have a lot of experience in terms of evaluating, you know, technology companies as investment vehicles. And they really coached me up on that. So that was, it, it, it was, it wasn't a challenging decision in terms of, uh, you know, choosing uh to, to walk into an industry that i believe has, has a much higher ceiling in the coming years but but it was hard to leave in a position you know that i i've been there for four years and, and really grown to going close to my colleagues as you tend to do if that makes sense mm-hmm. so i guess uh, as you mentioned uh, uh the president and his colleague i guess they knew you and they knew you in the sports business and they brought you as an executive so I so I guess it was uh, in that sense a very special position for you, but at the same time you spent a great amount of time there. You know, did a lot of work, uh, helped businesses, learned a lot, mm-hmm. and you felt like okay, now's the time for you to make your uh, switch to these two ventures that you're currently working on. I, I think that's very well said. I, I I've said to anyone who will listen that. I probably wouldn't have had the tools, uh, you know, that I need to build my own businesses without, you know, the schooling and the coaching and the mentorship that, that I received from Matt and Allen. So it was just one of those things where it was a perfect storm in terms of, you know, as I said, our business had slowed down. So it was, it was a time where I could walk away without really hindering any of the partners because things were, were so slow due to, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but yeah, certainly it, it was, uh, I can tell you I take a lot of what I learned from, from Matt Al and my other colleagues in terms of what I'll be doing going forward um, in building my own my own ventures in gaming that are also focused, you know, a lot on technology and investment and, and how you uh, how you can acquire and focus on, uh, you know, scalable assets within the business. And, and so, yeah, I, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head in, in terms of, um, you know, the fact that I'll be taking all of the lessons that I've learned in the last four years as, as the director of RFI and, and now taking them into uh, running my own businesses. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So I want to understand more about Wonder Gaming. Uh, is it like an investment fund for emerging sports ventures, uh, esports ventures? Is that accurate? Like you invest or acquire uh, companies in that in the esports space? Uh, it, 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 sorry, you cut out Wonder Gaming specifically? Just yes. Yeah. yeah. So Wonder Gaming began as an esports and gaming focused acquisition fund. So we actually, in the, in the beginning, we we're like, we don't invest in companies. We don't take passive positions. We just acquire them. And the oh. idea was in terms, 
And the idea in terms of an investment thesis was that we acquire businesses that, that I would characterize as peripheral assets to the esports and gaming ecosystem. And what I mean is we wanted to be title agnostic. We didn't want to be buying uh, teams because I believe teams are, you know, they're capital intensive, they're hard to scale, um, yeah. and, and they're too dependent in many instances on prize money, which you, which is volatile and, and something that you can't control or incorporate into a reliable business model. So the idea was, let's buy companies that can be a utility to these teams. Let's buy companies that operate uh, you know, sort of on the outside and, and help either add revenue or save cost uh, to, to the industry. So if you think technologies like augmented reality, artificial intelligence, training tools, uh, potentially fan engagement, uh, gambling. Uh, and then, you know, really, as we began, began to focus, we realized <clears throat> that there was a big gap in the industry as it relates to loyalty and rewards. And that's really what we've decided to hone in on. Uh, for 2020. And specifically, uh, what we've done is we've partnered uh, w- with this incredible group uh, uh, of, of individuals at, at Global Solutions uh, who have a track record of building out loyalty and rewards for very large corporations, uh, cor- corporations such as, you know, um, the individuals um, that own PC and, and shoppers and Loblaws, the Weston family, uh, as well as Suncor, Petrocan, um, and, and essentially, if there's a large uh, loyalty and rewards platform that's been built for a corporation in the Western Hemisphere in the last 50 years, it's likely that, that, that Jonathan Carroll and the Global Solutions folks are the ones that built it out. And so what we've done is we've married you know, what we believe to be a proven model in, in being like loyalty and rewards platforms, and we're marrying it now to the gaming industry, where we believe loyalty and rewards are either fragmented or non-existent. And so we'll be building out, or I should say have built out, the very first comprehensive loyalty and rewards platform uh, in the gaming industry. I guess, so the idea is to actually fully acquire those ventures and take 100% equity. Is that accurate? Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. So, the caveat now, so, so we, we, we don't take passive positions. We only acquire businesses in full. But the caveat now is that all of my acquisitions for 2020 or all of our acquisitions for 2020 as it relates to Wonder Gaming will need to focus on uh, driving forward uh, the business that we're building out uh, on the loyalty and reward side. Mm. But- so that could mean we acquire technology. That helps our business uh, sort of achieve greater scalability. It could mean we're buying fan engagement platforms that boast uh, large user bases that we want to onboard onto our platform. Uh, it could mean uh, that we are uh, also buying up uh, smaller, uh, what I would call like micro platforms or even social social media accounts that we believe will could be a utility to to sort of the the loyalty and award space, but. Any any acquisitions will need to be with the mindset of driving number one, driving users, driving engagement, and then driving partners to the platform. Mm-hmm. The caveat gaming and what we're doing with loyalty and rewards now, we're going to be building out this this comprehensive platform that provides utility to brands that engage in esports, to teams, to fans, 
and then we'll actually be um, taking the company uh, public uh, at the end of so the next six months are really focused on let's building this out, doing it right, providing a utility to the industry, to gamers, to, to, to gaming sponsors, advertisers, brands, uh, and then really making sure that we have a strong product that cash flows and that focuses on revenue so that when we uh, go public at the end of 2020, uh, we'll hit the ground running and uh, and hopefully ma- make a bit of a splash in the space. Mm-hmm. So acquiring yeah. companies can be a pretty expensive expensive task. Uh, do you have like a pool of investors that you're working with, or are you, or does does the venture have its own capital that it's investing? Uh, what is the source of the financing? <clears throat> Yeah, so we, uh, we do have, uh, several, uh, investors already that we, that we have a sort of committed cash. So we actually already raised, uh, a smaller round, uh, that facilitated the build of our platform. And we raised that financing, uh, throughout the spring of this year. And, and actually, I should say even the winter to the spring earlier in 2020. Uh, and then most individuals if not all that participated in that round we anticipate um will also come on board and uh for our series a round of financing which we'll be launching next week uh and, and sorry i guess for users that's a that's a mid-july launch so we'll be raising another um another four million dollars um starting uh starting mid-july so we already do have several very um high net worth individuals family offices institutional capital uh we um, the idea is that the style of capital we took for the first round of financing, we were very deliberate in ensuring that they were the type of individuals that would be comfortable uh, putting more money in, uh, knowing that we would have subsequent rounds of financing uh, for this style of business. Mm-hmm. So, so right now we are in this pandemic era. Um, is it difficult to, uh, I mean, you obviously have good connections and uh, and you, uh, connections with investors, but do you see that um, investors have become more risk averse because of the pandemic era? Are they are they more cautious about investing in companies, or is it is it business as usual? On the whole, um, investors have certainly become, I would say, a bit more risk averse, and, and certainly a bit more prone to uh, hoarding cash. And sitting on the sidelines until we have a bit more certainty around what's happening with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we're a bit more fortunate is that I'm not really sure that that dynamic applies to esports. And uh-huh. I'm sure, as you know, esports is one of the few industries that has actually grown uh, significantly yeah. uh, in the midst of the pandemic, along with other industries such as e-commerce and and and, and a few others. But um, so, so in actual fact, we've actually part of the reason that we've expedited, um, you know, the timeline on this round of financing is that we've had a lot of investors knocking on our doors wanting to participate. And so we've actually just decided that rather than, you know, waiting until um, we, we were going to uh, sort of let it go into the summer and then maybe raise more capital if and when we need to, we we uh, are sort of more inclined now to strike while the iron's hot because there's just a ravenous appetite for investment in gaming right now. As I tell people, it's uh, the industry is sort of having a bit of a moment. So it'll be interesting to see if they can sustain it when we come out of the pandemic. But um, we actually uh, have found that actually the appetite for investment as it relates to gaming and esports has actually accelerated. Mm-hmm. 
that's 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 interesting. Uh, can you share examples of some uh, promising uh, ventures that you have invested in, or are you pl- uh, or you're planning to invest in uh, in the esports space? Of course. Um, so, well, I, I guess I've already I've already sort of discussed what what I probably and I, I can't I, what I'm at liberty to discuss as it relates to Wonder. <laughs> Yeah. And that is that we're, we're focusing on loyalty rewards. We partnered with the folks that have built it out for large corps. And so that okay. was a partnership that, of course, costs money. You have to, you have to pay for the build and for, for sort of like the, the to bring on those style of stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also, uh, will be looking to onboard users. So we're going to be looking very aggressively at, um, what I would characterize as fan engagement platforms. Cause I don't want to buy a gambling platform because that, that sort of brings with it um, some potential regulatory issues in terms of uh, uh, who can acquire you. Like once you own a gambling platform, like for instance, publishers aren't aren't uh, able to to sort of acquire or invest in you. So uh, what mm-hmm. I'm looking to do now is is onboard users through fan engagement platforms or through free to play platforms um, onto onto uh, Wonder Gaming, which is uh, our our sort of loyalty rewards platform. So I'll be looking at companies like that in 2020 to buy. Um, and then, uh, in Rumble Gaming, which is the, the other company that I sort of touched on earlier, where, where I'm, uh, I'm also gonna, uh, actually in the middle of raising a Series A round. So Rumble Gaming, we're gonna be looking to, um, actually just invest in people and technology. Um, so I think I mentioned I've hired 12 individuals in the last six weeks, just, <clears throat> excuse me, on the sales side. What I'm wow. also gonna be looking to do is, uh, we're gonna be looking at M&A opportunities. Um, on the agency side, uh, that could help us grow. And that could mean buying up, uh, smaller agencies, looking at, uh, buying up uh, boutiques that have like interesting client lists that, that we could sort of, um, that we could acquire and bring in house at Rumble. But it could also mean, um, investing in or acquiring, um, you know, technologies that we could overlay onto the platform. Uh, for instance, that would help us maybe more effectively identify which types of brands our clients should be working with. Um, or, or maybe with style of clients we should be bringing into the agency in the first place based on certain gaps that we may have as it relates to titles or demographics or, or the like. So uh, those are just a couple of things I'll be focusing on, yeah, in 2020 uh, for Rumble and uh, Wonder. Mm-hmm. And is it fair to say that uh, until the pandemic is over, it's not a good idea to invest specifically in sports teams? Um. Invest in sports teams uh, on the amateur level or on the professional level. I think it just the, depends. The professional, the, like the professional, the professional sports teams. I mean, the professional sports teams are in a tough spot because, like, they're you know, most are going to struggle to break even this year through through no fault of their own. I, I'm personally of the belief that it's very rarely a bad time to invest in professional sports teams. Um, to be honest, if if there were <laughs> Like if I were in a position to, and I and I'm certainly nowhere near wealthy enough to to do that, nor will I be anytime soon. But uh, if there were an opportunity where a pro team owner or a minority shareholder were looking to liquidate, I would jump all over the opportunity to invest in, in a professional sports team. Frankly, they if you look at if you look at the multiples, um, you know, over the past 10, 15 years, uh, there are very few things that that garner the type of returns that investing in a pro sports team do, especially as it relates to the big four leagues. Uh, or the big five, if you count uh, Major League Soccer. So I, I still think it's a great investment. Um, 
the challenge, I guess, and, and you know, it's a great question you ask. A lot of people have asked me, like, what is the is COVID nineteen, and more importantly, what is the ensuing you know potential shift in, in live entertainment going to do to to sort of like pro sports what if and when we come back? Like, in other words, do you see yourself in a stadium watching a football game in six months? And that is, uh, I think, a valid concern, but but a concern I believe that is static and that is that is short term. I, I do believe that you know once uh, you know I, I'm certainly not a physician or, or a medical professional, but once we have a vaccine and we and we come to some come around to some level of certainty, um, you know, uh, hopefully by by the middle of next year or or into 2021 uh, into the fall, um, I, I fully anticipate sports going back to normal, and I think we've seen it through the the you know. Uh, incredible appetite uh, that the public has uh, just to watch uh, professional sports without fans in the stadium. We're just, we're just starving for, for live content. Right. So, um, and, and nothing will ever, in my opinion, be traditional sports as it relates to producing high quality uh, live content that you and I and our friends and, and, and family members and so on can all watch at once. But uh, so it was a very long winded way of saying I'd still invest in traditional sports, despite uh, it's a tough year for them. And I mean, a lot of them are, a lot of owners are going to, you know, lose some money, but, um, you know, there, uh, I, I don't believe this will hinder the long-term viability, um, as it relates to economics of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to talk about Rumble Gaming, which is your, uh, other venture. Um, yep. tell me about the different services that uh, that particular venture provides. Uh, and it, will that also focus on like serving as an agency for, sports personalities or athletes uh i guess i guess representing them um is that one of the services yeah so um our focus um at rumble gaming is largely on three aspects uh, of the entertainment industry so the the at our at our core we're an esports and gaming focused talent agency meaning that we represent clients in the game system we bring them brand deals and then we take a commission and then we, that's sort of where we derive our, 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 our predominant bucket of revenue. Sorry, brand deals for us. Uh, so, so this is, this is what we would call, uh, you know, professional gamers or esports athletes or streamers, content creators, YouTubers, um, influencers uh-huh. and so on. Now, so what's interesting about, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. So I'm just trying to understand like, not not athletes, but uh, online gamers and and gaming influencers. Exactly. So uh, we're talking about sixteen year olds that are professional Fortnite players, or we're talking about you know fourteen year old YouTubers that stream Call of Duty, or um, uh, you know any plot like looking more sort of quote unquote traditional sports space. Uh-huh. Um, but like we have, like I have a client that was 16 years old that made $225,000 last month in advertising, no which, is more th- which is more than Sidney Crosby made last year, last month. Right. So it's <laughs> like you, you have these, you have wow. these incredible audiences that these young gamers have amassed. Um, now, now, by the way, that was a huge outlier. Like that's one of the highest earning in the industry. So please don't take that to mean what that all gamers are not, but, uh, yeah. um, so that's that's one style of client. But what's interesting is we are actually starting to develop um, a lot of relationships to traditional sports athletes that are looking to gain. 
And what I mean is we, we have a partnership with like Players TV, which is a, a really interesting um, sort of like gaming agency that offers traditional sports athletes representation and exposure to esports. So the idea is they represent people like Kyrie Irving, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, uh, DeAndre Jordan. And what they're doing is they're helping traditional sports athletes get greater exposure in gaming. So it's a really weird dynamic where, you know, when I was with the New York Rangers uh, six years ago, we would have gamers that would, in theory, want to, you know, create content with pro athletes, traditional mm-hmm. sports athletes, that is. But you've almost seen the entertainment paradigm shift now, where now we have, you know, uh, you, you know, individuals like Chris Paul, who's a very, you know, one of the greatest point guards of all time. He'll be a Hall of Famer. And he wants to stream with some of our gamers. So, so you've almost seen the paradigm flip right on the head, uh, which is fascinating. So uh, at Rumble Gaming, we, we although we represent a lot of quote-unquote gamers or esports athletes or streamers, we also are starting to get more and more interest uh, from NBA players, from NFL players that are looking to enhance their footprint in the gaming industry. Wow, that's a yeah. very interesting shift from athletes now trying to trying to connect with the gamers and gaming influencers exactly and 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 it's something that you know frankly a lot of people i think in the industry would have thought was unimaginable 15 20 years yeah. ago but, yeah you know yeah. The, the the paradigm has totally shifted which i think is fantastic i i have um you know a, a a friend or, 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 or I should say an acquaintance and an individual whom I greatly respect in the industry named Wim Stocks uh, is, is uh, you know, CEO of World Gaming, has a line that I've heard him use when he, when he does public speaking engagements, which is that if you had, you know, a, a group of 20, 12-year-old uh, boys and girls uh, sitting in a room and you put LeBron James in one corner, and you put Ninja in the other corner. And Ninja, for those who don't know, is the number one. Ninja is the most popular, um, you know, gamer in the world right now as it relates to, to sort of like digital traction and, and sponsorship and advertising revenue. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of them would go talk to Ninja, not LeBron James, which is absolutely <laughs> true. And something that as someone who worked in sports and who grew up playing sports, it, it's incredible to me. I, I almost couldn't believe it. But the, the more you speak to eight, nine, and 10-year-olds, the more you realize that's absolutely true and that really a lot of these gamers are, are, are driving, uh, you know, everything from which merchandise gets moved, moved to, like, what music goes into, culture, um, more, you know, just as much, if not more so, in, in a lot of instances than athletes. So it's a really fascinating, uh, you know, shift that we've seen, uh, you know, sort of occur in the, in the previous years. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess one thing that you mentioned earlier, which is true, is is uh, the pa- the pandemic has had an opposite effect on the online gaming industry. It's one of those industries which are actually growing, uh, like e-commerce and whatnot. So this is definitely a good time for you to make this transition and focus on these uh, ventures. Are both these ventures uh, profitable at the moment? Uh, so Rumble Gaming, we we are profitable. Uh, we are, are going to be raising the five million dollar uh, USD Series A round, uh, which we're actually commencing on Monday, uh, on on July 14th. We're raising the money, as I said, to to invest in technology, but mostly just to hire staff because we we frankly can't keep up 
with what I call um, RFPs, request for proposal from brands. So what's happening is um, a lot of advertisers, sponsors, and, 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 you know, brands at large that invest in the entertainment industry. So that, that is, uh, say you're, you're a, a sponsor and advertiser that previously would, would have an engagement with someone like Sportsnet or with the NBA or the NHL or, or, or a broadcast partner that shows traditional sports uh, through a package in the United States like AT&T Verizon. What they're doing now is they're repurposing or, or transitioning their budgets into gaming simply because it's really been the only, um, you know, entertainment uh, avenue around uh, because, uh, of course, traditional sports has, has uh, you know, more or less been paralyzed until we restart it later, later this month. So what, what's happened is we haven't been able to keep up with, with essentially the demand that we're seeing from, from brands and, and advertisers looking to get into the space. So um, we have found it uh, it's certainly uh, an opportunistic time to, to sort of go in and raise money in the sports and gaming industry just to ensure we can expand our staff, create jobs, um, and, and more importantly, advance, you know, uh, esports and gaming as an industry, just continue to grow the space. I, I, I always say that what's, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, and that's certainly true in a nascent and, and you know, relatively early industry like gaming, where when you see, uh, you know, one or two companies have a lot of success, and it's it's often, you know, a really good thing for the for the space at large. So, so yeah, we certainly will be um, – raising cash uh, for both businesses and, and looking to expand um, largely because as I, as I just mentioned, we have seen a lot of stakeholders moving budget around. Um, and then the other, the other side of the coin is um, revenues and viewership have, have skyrocketed uh, in 2020 thus far, simply because everyone's stuck inside. Everyone's been quarantining. <laughs> and, and so I, I, the numbers like China, um, excuse me, not just China, but Southeast Asia at large, we're, we're in quarantine a quarter ahead of North America, Western Europe, uh, especially North America. And so when the numbers came out in the second quarter, we, we saw that in some countries, like they, they were 37, 38 percent increases in revenue and viewership quarter over quarter, which is insane. And I, I think we're going to see similar numbers uh, emerging in the coming weeks when we see the Q2 numbers filtering out for North America. And so now the big question, as I said at the outside of the call, is uh, can we maintain these new viewers? Because a lot of new viewers, of course, will just go back to traditional sports and they'll they'll leave gaming, uh, you know, uh, by and large once uh, they're they're more established uh, entertainment, uh, you know, vehicles come back. But what we're hoping is that we can end up retaining a large portion of the population and, and really showing them why this is such a great space and, and why it's, why it's somewhere they should, why they should stay and invest their, their time and, and their, and their entertainment dollars and, and so on. So I guess, yeah, you don't want this to become like a seasonal thing where, where the opportunities that have come about disappear once, once let's say the vaccine is out or once, you know, people are more freely moving. And, and engaging in outdoor activities. Um, so I guess, I guess, I guess it's a good bet that you're making. Um, and there seems to be a lot of opportunity in this space and, and hopefully, and hopefully it will, uh, it will pay out for you. That, that's certainly what we're hoping. That, that's the sentiment. I think it's, I think the, the industry, as I say, is having a, a bit of a moment. Uh, and, and the question is, can we capitalize on the short-term traction that we've received, or, the, or I should say, the short-term surge in traction? And I believe, I believe we will. Um, 
this could be an inflection point for the for the gaming industry as a whole and, and could be the thing that we look back on and that we really identify as as the catalyst for, for the gaming industry taking the next step as one of the one of the you know key entertainment sectors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. On a personal note, um, how are you enjoying this uh, managing your personal time during the pandemic? And what do you do in your free time as your hobbies? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I've, I have a theory that humans adjust very quickly to the sort of uh, adverse circumstances. So I, I've, I've actually have very little to complain about. I'm myself and my you know family and friends by and large are healthy and, and safe. So I, I don't have any complaints. I've, um, I think I mentioned to you before we start recording, I, uh, I sort of moved into a new house and I've been working on, uh, turning the backyard into sort of a makeshift office, uh, to try to spend as much, as much time outside as I can. And, oh, and nice. other than that, yeah, other than that, bought, uh, a, a sort of new bike, rollerblades, basketball, football, trying, trying to just, uh, come up with as many excuses as I can to, to spend time outside, um, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, where I can, but otherwise, um, I've really actually enjoyed uh, the shift to to remote to remote offices because I've always yeah. been a big proponent of of not working. I've always been a big proponent of sort of like productivity over FaceTime in an office. And yeah. I used to get into battles, especially when I was in the National Hockey League world, because it's it's um, an industry that's dominated by very intelligent individuals, but also dominated by individuals um, that are by and large. Uh, middle-aged and, and older white men that that sort of grew up in an in an office environment where you should show your face at 8 a.m. and stay late and so on. <laughs> and I and I used to have these funny arguments where I said, as long as you get the work done and you're productive and you and you're showing results and sales, I mean, what's what's the difference? I never really understood that. And so my favorite thing about this this shift uh, in sort of how we how we operate our businesses is that I think. Uh, certainly the younger generation is, as, 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 indi- as, as signaled that, you know, we're, we're not only capable of, of continuing, uh, to hit our numbers, uh, as we work remotely, but actually we're thriving. And I, a lot of people have asked me, are you going to get office spaces when you come out of this? And, and we will because you need a boardroom to show clients around and have executives and so on, uh, if they're traveling or coming in the city. But, um, I, I've been, uh, just absolutely floored by my staff's ability. Uh, to continue to, to really do a phenomenal job whilst we're, you know, 20, 25 of us all in a uh, different part country in the world and no one's missed a beat. So that's actually been my sort of favorite part in this pandemic, uh, personally, uh, uh, or at least from a professional uh, standpoint. Yeah, I think, I yeah. think definitely, uh, I agree with, with what you said. And I think, you know, not having to commute. Um, and because, you know, we, we spend a portion of our early morning, morning productive time getting ready and going to work. So, and especially this is for people who do a, more. And I mean, a good a amount of thing for morale too. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, sorry to interrupt. I was saying that's a big thing for morale is, um, how nice is it to, to not have to commute, uh, you know, for you half hour yeah. an hour each way isn't that great like you can spend that time whether it be doing personal things social things mental health um yeah. or just spend that you know get your work done earlier <laughs> right? yeah like you know if you don't have to spend your morning productive time let's say in a train or on the highway and you can actually you know in your home office start working on your laptop that that mm-hmm. can result in productivity for the business 
And I think that I guess the other advantages is, you know, if you're able to work remotely, then you don't need your talent to be located in the same town or city or, or metropolitan area. Let's say if you find great people in a different province or, you know, in a different city metropolitan area, you can work with them because you have figured out remote operations and remote working. So that makes your talent pool, I feel, much bigger if you're able to figure out uh, how to work as a virtual team rather than being, as you I said, uh, coming to 8 o'clock in the morning and showing your face. So I guess I guess uh, there, I, uh, there, are some, there are some benefits to it, and I guess companies and businesses are realizing that, hey, we can still function without having to show up every day at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., we can still function. So, so I, I guess I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Hopefully, when yeah. when this is over, I feel like maybe more and more companies will become more accepting and more uh, of more accepting of uh, remote working, and they will still continue to offer that option, especially to young people and and parents oh. and whoever. Uh- and I think we're starting to see that, to be honest. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that a lot of, you know, fairly prominent companies, including those in, in, in the big five, like Facebook, where they've said, listen, feel free to work from home the rest of the year. Twitter has said to some individuals, feel free to work from home indefinitely. And I and I think it's a really positive thing for, for the labor market that we're beginning to shift away from that, especially because, as I'm sure you know, the younger demo uh, you know, they were experiencing different labor market outcomes, uh, you know, from, from really as early as 2016, 17, in the sense that they tend to freelance more. Many have side hustles, uh, you know, yeah. individuals like like myself, where I, w- I was at Ryerson Futures, but I was doing three or four sort of side gigs, um, you know, in my, in my spare time. And I and I think that's very common among especially uh, the younger demographics, such as such as yourself and individuals in, in undergrad now. And I think that working remotely is considerably more conducive to maintaining that that style yeah. of, of, you know, yeah. professional paradigm within the labor market. So I think it's going to be a really good thing for the next generation. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, well, Mike, it has been very nice speaking with you and learning about your background and your and your ventures. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. It was my pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me and uh, w- wish you all the best through the rest of uh, the summer. And hopefully we can uh, meet meet in person next time. Ho- hopefully so. I would like that. And uh, how can people find you? You want to share your website? Sure. So uh, if you're interested in learning a bit more about any of our ventures, um, uh, our Wonder Gaming is wondergaming.com. Uh, Rumble Gaming is rumblegaming.gg. Uh, you're, you're more than welcome to check those out. Um, my, my name's Mike Cotton. You can find me, um, on, on all forms of social media. I probably have the most notable presence on LinkedIn and you can sort of learn more about uh, what I do and feel free to reach out to me. I love, uh, love having conversations with smart people. And certainly if you're interested in learning more about, uh, esports and gaming and, and the broader community, uh, or investment opportunities, or if you'd like to get involved in my, either of my businesses, I'd, I'd certainly encourage uh, any of your listeners to, to reach out at any time perfect uh listeners i hope you enjoyed this uh, episode and you find it to be engaging and insightful and uh, as mike mentioned you can uh, reach out to him for any uh, for discussion or opportunities and thank you so much for listening to zonecast and stay tuned for more episodes